You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Firestone Destination AT2. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire! Wednesday, December 2nd. Very big episode of the podcast today. Total curveball. I'll get to that shortly, and our great guest, obviously you read the iTunes or Spotify or iHeartRadio description of our guest. We'll get to him shortly. Quick note, um, I will be offering a best bet right now on Pittsburgh and Baltimore. The game's supposed to be played later today. If it's canceled, I don't know what I'll do. I need Chase Claypool to deliver me 15 points to win my fantasy matchup. And I do believe the Steelers are the side here. I don't love the number. If you saw J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram, uh, enough time has passed from their COVID positive. They've had enough negatives that they are eligible to play. So RG3 will have some help. And the Ravens did run for um, 265 yards in the earlier meeting. I frankly don't care. I'm taking Pittsburgh here. I know it's a big number in a rivalry game. There's just too much uncertainty swirling around the Ravens right now. Pittsburgh, yes, they're undefeated. They're probably a little ticked off in this game. I think the better play is probably Pittsburgh in the first half. Just come out and smash Baltimore. Um, I I don't trust RG3 at all. 
Uh, Art Lamar has struggled big time in two meetings with the Steelers. He's been sacked nine times and he has seven turnovers. Uh, the idea that RG3 is going to put together some uh, Pat Mahomes-like performance is laughable. So give me the Steelers' favor by 10 uh, as the best bet. We did win. Luckbox City, uh, best bet on Monday Night Football. I will have the record tomorrow. I'm sorry to be tardy totaling it. Uh, Thanksgiving has me a little backed up. But nevertheless, uh, college football note, I'm not going to do anything on Kirk Herbstreet. I'm sure you guys saw what happened uh, on the College Football Reveal Show. Kirk Herbstreet offering, maybe it was informed speculation uh, or just popping off for whatever reason because he's a Buckeye that maybe Michigan would find a reason not to play Ohio State and then the Buckeyes would not have enough games under their belt to qualify for the playoff. I, I, I'm just not touching it. I, I have no idea if there's anything there. I don't I don't want to say it's a terrible look for Herb Street because he quickly apologized. It happens. People say stuff. It's live television. I've, I did it for a couple years, uh, four years now at FS1. Uh, it ain't easy. You know, you make mistakes, you say the wrong thing, and people call you out, and he apologized quickly, so we're past that. All right, let's get to our guest. Um, we'll talk about how it came about. His name is Nimesh Patel. He is a comedian. He did the Joe Rogan podcast last year, so now he's slumming it on a sports podcast. You will find out his sports interest. Uh, It'll probably surprise you. But this is a little bit of a curveball. I just thought we'd change it up a little bit. Uh, I'll give you the background on how this came about. But I really hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Without further ado, Nimesh Patel. Winter's coming here in L.A. That means more rain. For others, a wintry combination of sleet, slush, snow, and ice. Whatever winter means to you, Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. All-season tires. All-weather tires. Dedicated winter tires. Go to TireRack.com. Use the Tire Decision Guide to get personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from a full line of hand-cooked tires. Ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. You'll get free road hazard protection for a couple of years. Mobile tire installations available all over the country. Have you heard about this? They bring new tires to your home or work. Install them on site. Game changer. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. See their hand-cook, test results, and special offers. They've been at this for over 40 years. Trust me, they're experts. TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip. Who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. 
And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and... Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, it's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie. And uh, I was coming back on the plane and he said, Will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, What? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs Yesterday, Band on the Run. Hey Jude, and McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports. I know what sports fans want. But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say, I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. All right, let's welcome into the podcast a special guest. He's not from the sports world. You guys are going to love the non-sports aspect of this. And I know we've hammered, you know, NFL, NBA, gambling, all that fun stuff. And I would say maybe six months to a year ago, my brother put me onto a comedian because he has desires to uh, move out to... LA and be a comedian. He put me onto this guy and his name is Nimesh Patel. Indian guy. Uh, obviously, you guys know my background. I've done the 23 and Me. Uh, I've got a lot of Indian. I grew up, you know, my mom's uh, obviously comes from an Indian background. And I, I became a big fan of this guy. And he put out a bat signal saying, hey, I'm willing to go on people's podcasts a couple weeks back. 
And I quickly, my brother instantly messaged me on Instagram. Oh, you got to get him, get him. So I sent a message and I was like, yo, how about it? And he's like, sure. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> let's welcome in Nimesh Patel. Nimesh, how are you, man? Good, man. Thank you for making the time. I'm glad to be here. Uh, you don't strike me as part Indian at all. So I'm curious to hear this story. Yes, yes. Uh, I know. I get that all the time, man. Uh, I used that to pick up girls back in the day. Uh-huh. I didn't know what I was. Are you Portuguese? Are you Spanish? Latin? <laughs> Portuguese. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> whatever. Uh, but I, I want to start with your story. Please, First of all, please. listen, we'll get to your sports interests. And folks, he said he hasn't watched an NFL game this season, but he's a Lakers fan. And I see in the background of his Zoom here, he's got... Uh, a Kobe Bryant book. So uh, a Lakers fan, right? From from Jersey. Yes, sir. There's a lot of us. We're a quiet majority. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Nimesh, obviously a big deal on the comedy circuit. Um, Instagram, Twitter. He did the Joe Rogan show. I got to ask you right out of the gate. Um, that's like Please. every podcaster's dream right now mm-hmm. to make it to Rogan's podcast. Uh, let's just start with how that came about and why it did. I know it's some controversy uh, behind it. If you don't want to do that, hey, that's fine. But just uh, the Rogan aspect. Well, yeah, I mean, well, after the Columbia incident happened, which is a funny, goofy way to talk about, it wasn't really an incident. It was just a thing. Um, uh, I had a friend who was like, yo, you should go on Rogan and talk about this. I was like, yeah, sure, that's easy. Um, And then uh, uh, another friend of mine um, sent Joe, the uh, New York Times op-ed that I wrote about the whole thing, and Joe hit me up. I was like, hey, man, come and talk about uh, uh, what happened to you at Columbia. And I was like, that was like the only podcast I wanted to hop on to talk about it. You know, like a bunch of people hit me up like, yo, come talk and, you know, air air whatever you have to air. And I was like, "Uh, you know, I'll either say what I have to say via the times and then nothing else or you know if joe hits me up or or if someone of that level of caliber like lets me clear the air then i'll do that but after that uh, before that i was like i'm not talking to anybody about any of this um because i just felt like joe's was the place where uh i could speak most freely um about everything that had happened and uh i think starting then i became very conscious of what uh, media stuff I did just in general. I, I didn't want, I, I could see myself easily falling into the trap of just like being on every fucking show and all this kind of stuff. And it was like Tucker Carlson hit me up. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. You know, <laughs> 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 come on, Tucker. Um, uh, but Joe was just like, Joe was just very welcoming um, and hit me up. And I was like, come through. I was like, all right, cool. I, I, I'm going to be in LA. I'd love to come uh, uh, talk some shit with you. My only regret about doing that is not getting high with him. Uh, uh, but that was probably for the best because uh, when I, if I if I, I feel like Joe probably has like rapper weed or you know like celebrity weed, and I probably wouldn't have been able to handle it. <laughs> you when know, you're in Brooklyn, they got. I remember when we lived in New York uh, before I got engaged to the wife and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. There was a delivery service. I mean, this was early 2000s, and they would they would pull up with some good stuff. Uh-huh. Um, a buddy of mine was big into that, and uh, uh-huh. yeah, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, you're in Brooklyn now. How's the? Is there a delivery service still? Oh yeah, man. What's damn? You haven't been in New York in a long time. Uh, well, we, yeah, we. As soon as I I started this website and sold it, and we could uh-huh. live anywhere. We're like, we're not starting a family in Brooklyn. Oh, congrats, uh, man! Th- th- this uh, was before it was cool, really. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, no, it's 
it's only gotten easier to get weed. Um, it's just, it's everywhere. Uh, and if I wanted to text someone right now, I could have a delivery service person here in like two hours and it would be like high quality stuff. Yes. I mean, I've had this stuff in LA um, and obviously there's no real comparison, but it's pretty close, the stuff here we have. Um, and I'm a big fan of it, uh, but I'm on a, I'll say like two, three week break from it. Um, <laughs> Just like, I feel like this year I just smoked way too much and I could feel like even like yeah. the little working out that I do suffered a bit. And I was like, you know what? Maybe just chill out for a second. Yeah. Uh, well, l- let's go to that. D- this year has been weird. And uh, I want to ask you about identity uh, real quick. So yeah. obviously your identity is you're a comedian. You're, uh, you write jokes. You've worked with Chris Rock. You've uh, done stuff with Kevin Hart, I believe. I was reading in your bio. Like, I mean, you're at the top of the food chain. Uh, no, nah, I mean, uh, come on, the, man. Listen, this, that's how it is. You're, people see you, hear your name instantly. Oh, yeah, funny comedian. And like, I had struggled with identity during the pandemic because I was like, oh, he's the guy who talks about sports and gambles, and sports was shut down. And I was the guy who went to the gym and worked out and played basketball with buddies. And right. you can't do that. And I coach my kids in sports. You can't do that. And I'm sitting here like doing nothing in LA. And it's like, shucks, what's my identity? Did you have any of those issues? you know, here in the last nine months? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, I think uh, what, uh, uh, and I I think what I learned the most about this year was how to adapt to situations where, you know, like this whole time up until, um, uh, uh, up until this year, really, it was like, okay, do this, and then hopefully this will happen, do that. And then like constantly kind of repeating that cycle, um, you know, with different peaks and valleys, but, uh, more or less being the same kind of person. Whereas this year, once quarantine hit, I was like, fuck, like I immediately recognized I was not going to be able to be the same comedian because obviously I wouldn't be getting on stage. Um, and moreover, like I wasn't, I'm not a comic where I can go out and just be like, Oh, I'm going to put a tour together and then have that <laughs> tour happen. You know what I mean? Like I'm still here uh, trying to spread my wings. And so I put my hour out on YouTube in March um, just on like a, uh, you know, fortune favors the brave fuck it kind of mentality. And I did that. And that was like, and once I, that kind of took off in like April, it was like a month and a half lag time between when I put it out and when the algorithm caught it and started making me think, Oh shit, I might be onto something. And then I just kept feeding the algorithm with like uh, tons of clips and stuff. But what I learned identity wise was, okay, there's stuff I can't, do that I, is so ingrained in me, like getting on stage and, and telling jokes. And that took a page from Kobe's book of like, I've got to be improving all the time. And and I was just getting into the groove of improving my stand-up. I was like, what can I be doing now that I can't get on stage? I can enhance the skill sets that once I'm allowed to be back on stage, the skill sets I can enhance that are like not necessarily tangible skill sets. Uh, what can I enhance and be better at while I'm locked down? Um, that will make me better when I get, you know, free again. And so that's really kind of the mentality that I adopted um, consciously. Like, I got to get on some Mamba shit and just fucking work at everything else that I can be doing that isn't necessarily tied to being on stage, you know? Uh, I mean, I do I do wonder, though. A lot of your stuff is like life experiences, it, it seems like. I'm, I'm, I'm watching your videos and I'm like, what kind of life experiences could you have when you can't do anything for three months? 
Yeah. You can't leave. You, do you almost find yourself now, hey, man, I've got to be out there. I've got to travel just so I see shit and then I work it into my routine. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was again, like, and that's a great question, but like, uh, that was again, uh, a, a matter of adapting, you know, like, okay, my comedy was so observational, whether it be observational about something that happened during the day or observational about like society at large, I can be making those society at large, uh, observations, but if I'm not, if, if, if every one of my days is the same, more or less, like what, what what do I have to do? And that really forced me to look inward and start taking uh, uh, chances at writing about personal stuff. And what and I've been meaning to write a lot about how I grew up and my family and uh, um, things that are anecdotes or whatever. And I was like, maybe this is the sign that I should be doing that. Because, you know, the first hour that I put out, the first album I put out was pretty, I mean, it had personal elements, but it was pretty... Uh, social commentary as opposed to, you know, this goofy shit happened to me this day, you know? Right, right. Um, or this thing happened or or this is happening in the world. I was like, okay, maybe I can look inward and, and start thinking about, uh, you know, family stuff, funny anecdotes. And and that's what I'll be working on in 2021. Like uh, this Patel 2020, the half hour special that I put out just the last month um, was really like my, my cap on uh, uh, the year and observing what happened in the year. And I started segueing into more personal stuff towards the second half of the half hour. And, you know, come 2021, it's going to, I'll likely be a lot more personal. And that's a, that's a great way to handle it. But I do wonder, do you have that struggle? How much do I reveal to people on the personal life? Uh, not to go back to Rogan again, but I don't think he talks a lot about his family. And I will say this, my parents both listen to the podcast. My brother, obviously avid, I have relatives who are into it. And when I reference them mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form, even not by name, mm-hmm. you know, they hear about it. Most of them like it. And mm-hmm. then I go on the radio, which they don't usually listen to. And I'm much more willing to share. But on some of the more personal stuff, I don't like my wife. She doesn't like it when I'm mentioning her. The kids love it, obviously. You know, if I do a TV hit. But yeah. how do you how do you handle the personal revelations versus just keeping it back? I think uh, I think the balance comes from if something's so funny that it has to be said on stage, then I will do it. You know, like my favorite bit from my last the Patel 2020 thing that I put out was a true story about how my parents saw me smoking weed for the first time because I did like a live stream smoking weed and my mom was upset and my dad was upset. And then, uh, uh, you know, I went home like two weeks later to to just hang out with them for like a day. And it was like two weeks before the New Jersey had weed on the ballot and my dad was voting by mail. And he literally, he literally looked at the thing, looked at the circle to fill in, looked at me, said, Nope. And then (laughs) and then filled it in. And I was like, come on, man, just fuck. And, And that's like too funny to not, you know, put on. Yeah. But there's other personal stuff where it's just like, eh, that's funny, but you know, some things I want to keep for myself. Like I'm kind of selfish, like my wife does funny shit all the time, but it's like, that's between her and I, and I want to mm-hmm. keep that kind of private. And I've also made a conscious decision that if I'm gonna, if I'm going to make jokes about um, my family or personal stuff that I will be the brunt of the joke. You know, like I think in the first hour that I put out, there's one or a joke or two at my wife's expense. 
Um, and she was fine with it because they were too funny to not, that she understood the ridiculousness of the situations that I was talking about. But, uh, uh, now I'll make it a point to make fun of myself, you know, put it on me because a, that's funnier. And my family's so much funnier than I am. Uh, (laughs) like just, just not, maybe not necessarily on paper or joke writing wise, but like the things they say, the way they act, the way they behave is just so fucking funny to me. And no one's made me laugh more. So it's like a balance I got to strike between uh, uh, revealing their names and goofy shit that they do and making the punchline about me. I, I want to uh, keep on the family theme, but take it back a little bit. So there's a lot of people out there in Nimesh right now in 2020 who are like, maybe this is my chance. Maybe I take a chance and, and try something wild. And, you know, both of our parents, uh, they, they came to America in, you know, many, many years ago, hoping mm-hmm. to give a better uh, future for their kids. And yeah. um, even though my family's not fully 100% Indian, um, they definitely, 100,000% when I was in elementary school with my brother, you guys have to be doctors. You have to be a doctor. That's what every Indian family wanted for their kids. Yeah. So you were on that track. I read mm-hmm. that you went to NYU, you were pre-med and all that. <laughs> and, you know, I'm assuming that was to please your parents. Well, no, I mean, yes, uh, my, my, my dad never really, uh, uh, said you gotta be anything. He was just like, you know, just be happy and work. And and my dad's pretty stoic, quiet guy. Um, you know, he's worked at a liquor store since he was 17. So he's just like pretty even keeled and like, just understands, you know, just be happy and live a simple life. That's kind of like his MO now. My mom, uh, uh, was the one who was like this you have to be a doctor or you know get an advanced degree because you know i'd never want to worry about you and making money it was never really like uh be a doctor because you have to be a doctor it's more like be a doctor because it's a fantastic job and you won't have to worry um regardless of what happens people will always need doctors and that was a very strong point it's been never more clear than this year that how important physicians and the medical community is. But at the same time, I also kind of drank the Kool-Aid, you know, I was like, I remember in junior year of, of high school, I was like, I'm gonna be a pediatric cardiothoracic surgeon. Like that was my goal. Uh, <laughs> like that specific, you know, like, uh, I had a family, my dad, one of my dad's friends had a little kid who had a heart condition. And I took to that kid, I was like, this is like, interesting. And, and I really want to help kids. And I just thought the heart was such a fascinating, uh, marvel of God's engineering. That's what the heart really is. And uh, I was like, I want to do that. And then junior year of college, I got a C plus and or go one. I was like, maybe I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, and uh, I remember quitting being pre-med, having that conversation with my mom. And I will never forget where I was when I told her I was in my bedroom, um, in my apartment in uh, uh, East Village and I remember calling him like I dropped Orgo 2 um, and it was like fucking like the phone broke you know it was crazy but uh, you know it's worked out I guess <laughs> yeah it's just a little bit but how do you make that pivot to uh, what you're going to do at NYU you don't just say I, you know what I think I'll go into comedy like how did that how did that come about well I mean so I was pre-med uh when i joined myu I, I was taking all pre-med classes at my scene my freshman year and i did well enough that i could transfer to like the undergrad business school 
um, Stern School of Business. It was their undergrad business school. And I was like, let me just, it's an internal transfer, so it shouldn't be that difficult. And on top of that, I had pretty strong grades. So I just transferred to the business school so I could like have a finance degree as well. And uh, all my all my elective classes were all my pre-med classes. So instead of taking like sculpture, I was taking like, you know, physics two as a fucking, you know, as my, as my uh, uh, prereq and, or my elective rather. And then when I dropped pre-med, I was still a finance major. So I graduated the finance degree, um, didn't in 2008, did not get hired at an investment bank like most of my friends. And was like, all right, fuck, what am I gonna do? And I hadn't, you know, what I realized is if your heart is not in something, you won't pursue it the way you would if your heart is fully in something, you know, like I never, I never fully pursued like all the other job opportunities I could have had, had I actually wanted to be a finance person, you know, like I had, you know, an economics major who became like, um, uh, who joined like a finance team elsewhere and, uh, and a bunch of friends who like weren't bankers, but were still working in finance and making tons of money. And I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? Ended up bouncing around and unemployed for like a year. And then in 2009, um, I took a writing class, uh, like a sappy writing class at NYU, like a, you know, one of their uh, postgraduate certificate classes or whatever. And I was like, this shit is corny. <laughs> and uh, I went back to the drawing board. I was like, I really like laughing and making people laugh. I never had stage fright. And uh, uh, I went off stage in August of 2009. And now uh, uh, now I'm here talking to you. Well, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> August 2009. Like, let us know when the Chris Rock part happens. Obviously, oh, yeah. you know, a, a landmark comedian, my favorite guy of all time. Yeah, um, I mean, Chris. So, so how do you go from like, oh, I'm applying to... Uh, all the uh, business opportunities coming out of college, mm-hmm. I get nothing. And then, oh yeah, Chris Rock notices me. How long does that take? <laughs> and how did the parents handle that, man? Because uh, uh, dropping out of med school to being unemployed, that, that doesn't go over well with many families, especially Indian families. No, no. I mean, yeah, it wouldn't go over with anybody. But it was kind of like, you know, uh, I was unrecruited by all the coaches. And, and I was like, I got to show these motherfuckers. Um, it was like, it's 2009 that I started comedy, and then um, uh, two years later, uh, my, one of my friends approached me um, to like be a resident at a stand-up show, meaning like I would get to go on every every night. And that friend was Mike Denny, um, and he approached me and my good friend at the time, Michael Che, um, to like be residents of the show, and we ended up starting a show and like growing the show called Broken Comedy over like several years to the point where in 2015 it was like the hottest show in new york or one of the hottest shows if not the hottest show in new york and um uh what's it called one of our comics that night the night of you know i forget that it was like august of 2015 actually come to think of it um six years later uh one of the comics langston kerman was um gonna be performing and someone was looking at him uh, for uh, a pilot uh, and they wanted Chris attached to the pilot. Mm -hmm. And so Chris had to come see him and he, Langston was on my show and Chris was coming to my show to watch uh, Langston and uh, Chris is late. So I was like, I guess I'll go up because no one else is here. Um, And then 
I see Chris come in. I'm like, now I'm definitely going up, (laughs) you know? And and so I went up and I kind of like just had one of these flu game blackout moments. or just like, like this life is on the line. And uh, uh, I just heard Chris laugh once and that was it. Like, I don't remember anything after that. And it was just like, I did like 10, 12 minutes of just like a got off on big laugh, walked outside of the, the performance room and just like, took a breather. He watched Langston after me. Then he came out and was like, Hey man, you're really funny. I was like, get the fuck. It looked like he looked confused. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. So was this, wait, wait, was this one-on-one you guys are talking or is there other people around? Uh, there was a few, a few of my friends were like hanging out, but it was like, okay. like it's hard That's to gotta describe. Be amazing. It was nuts. I mean, he didn't really talk to me. He was just like, Hey man, you're really funny. I was like, you're, thank you. You're Chris Rock. And then, and then he, you know, left. Um, and, uh, uh, that was it. And then a few months later he got the Oscars hosting job. Um, and I got an email from the person he had brought to that show to be like, Hey man, Chris wants you to write for the Oscars. Um, you can expect a, you can expect a call from the Academy. And I was like, what? I haven't spoken to you in three months. <laughs> and then sure enough, like two days later, my manager got a call from uh, um, the Academy, uh, the people that run the Oscars and they hired me and they were like, Chris wants Nimesh to help him write for the Oscars. And it was like a team of like 20 people, but it was just insane to be on that team. You know, it's like my first writing job Yeah, from undrafted. Cause that was a, I remember that summer as being like a very bleak summer for me because the job, I, the finance job I had, the CEO had just resigned. Um, and so I had like six months left in that job. And I had just been rejected from the Just for Last Comedy Festival for like the third time. Oh. Um, and I was like so fucking like subconsciously and consciously just like annoyed with comedy and just like all of it. And then, you know, like two days later, you know, Chris is like, that's that guy is hilarious. And I was like, fuck all uh, what what else do i need you know yeah, it was like yeah. i felt like undrafted to fucking you know uh an all-star it felt like granted it wasn't with, that but that's what it felt yeah. like you know at, at any level were you close to quitting comedy no. and just saying you know no okay good you never because there's a lot of people out there man who are going to listen to this and be like dude i'm in that spot i want to quit this isn't working and it's going to want to bail you know it was it was more a function i mean it was a function of a ego i was like i'm not quitting i can't fucking quit this and also like the fuck else am I going to do? <laughs> you know, like all I've spent the last five, six years cultivating this talent and as unrecognized or recognized as the talent is at that time, I was like, I really, now I, I can't quit a, because I need to keep going personally and B because all these motherfuckers will be like, we knew it, you know, yeah. like, I'm not letting you have that. Yeah, I'm giving yeah. that hall of fame. My Hall of Fame speech is going to be just me reading Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. I'm just going to repeat. Uh, I'm just going to replace all the names with people that I feel like. <laughs> me. Yeah, that slighted you. No, no, I, I feel that. <laughs> winter's coming here in L.A. That means more rain. For others, a wintry combination of sleet, slush, snow, and ice. Whatever winter means to you, Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. All season tires. All-weather tires. Dedicated winter tires. Go to TireRack.com. Use the Tire Decision Guide to get personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from a full line of Vredestein tires. 
Ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. You'll get free road hazard protection for a couple of years. Mobile tire installations available all over the country. Have you heard about this? They bring new tires to your home or work. Install them on site. Game changer. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. See their Vredestein test results and special offers. They've been at this for over 40 years. Trust me, they're experts. TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts welcome to 500 greatest songs a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver Airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We have more insightful conversations between myself, Paul Muldoon, and Paul McCartney about his life and career. It was 20 years ago today. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie. 
And uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? This season, we're diving deep into some of McCartney's most beloved songs. Yesterday, Band on the Run, Hey Jude. And McCartney's favourite song in his entire catalogue, here, there and everywhere. Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, again, you were like very good student on the medical path, on the business path. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, I don't know where you are with destiny, but do you feel like this is where you, this is your calling? This is what you were put on the planet to do, like Diego yeah. Maradona died last week yeah. and one of the greatest soccer players ever. I watched those highlight reels of him just juggling a soccer ball. And like he was put on this planet mm-hmm. to play soccer. There's no question about that. Right. And hearing your story, I do kind of feel like you were put here to be a comedian. Like it's, it's Thank meant you. to be. I mean, I, I think that's uh, what the re- one of the reasons I like athletes so much is because they're not afraid to let that sort of spirituality and stars aligning uh, uh, mentality kind of drive them and uh, my favorite I hate quoting a Nike commercial but oh, geez, when yeah. that commercial when Michael goes when Jordan goes um, uh, I have something more in, important than courage I have patience I will become what I know I am that is kind of like subconsciously tattooed on me but uh, you know that moment when Chris came I think back at that and like think back yo the stars were aligning because Chris, if Chris were, if Chris were on time, if, if that show, like my show granted, it was like the hottest show in the world. It was also one of the most difficult comedy rooms. Like people would bomb there all the time. Mm. Even it would be a full ass room and people would bomb me, especially like I would bomb there consistently. Um, And, you know, the first comic that usually went up on the night would eat a dick. Um, And I wasn't first, I was second, but Kevin McCaffrey uh, went out first and just leveled the place. Like he destroyed. And I was like, oh shit. All right, you know, I gotta go Mariana Rivera this shit. You know, just be the closer (laughs) on this month. Cause he opened it so strong. And it was just like this, and he was, and and Chris was late and there was no like, the stars is perfectly aligned that evening, you know, and I, and I think back at that moment all the time, because now, you know, a few years later, I'm all about being able to recognize when the stars are aligning for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been really keeping me going is that you have to recognize the signs the universe is sending. Um, and, and I've prided myself on my ability to do that now. And I've kind of want to share that message is like, yo, be conscious and know that the universe will be aligning for you and that you have to recognize when it is um, and really fucking enjoy that moment and flourish in it. Yeah, that's deep and heavy, but it's real. Uh, I do have to ask, man. I get a lot of static because I was born in New York um, and I'm a Laker fan. And mm-hmm. they're like, how do you like the Lakers and the Knicks, man? That's mm-hmm. not real. And the first game my dad ever took me to, uh, Madison Square Garden, Knicks-Lakers. We were wow. in town. Um, and we got lucky to get tickets and I was just smitten with Magic Johnson, this, this point guard. And, huh. and I started liking the Lakers and Knicks. I was a little kid. What did I know? 
Yeah. And I keep hearing you reference Jordan, uh, Kobe. How are you not a Knicks fan from Jersey, man? How, well, how does that happen? So, so I, I consciously remember like one of my first NBA. I never went to a, my dad never took me to a, a game when I was a kid. Um, but he was a, a Knicks fan. And, but like, I kind of vaguely remember like 93, 94, because I was born in 86. I was like seven at the time. I vaguely remember that time and watching uh, the playoffs and being like, yo, Jordan, man, this guy is a fucking motherfucker. Yep. <laughs> and my dad would always be like defeated, like, oh, again. <laughs> like, you know, and, and I was like, man, I, I love my dad, obviously. And, and the Knicks, if I didn't have another team to root for, I'd root for the Knicks. But I kind of, I, I fell in love with Jordan. And just like what he represented more so than the Bulls, just like Mike, you know. And so I was rooting for him. And then when he retired, there was a lull in my interest in the game. And mm. the next person that kind of and I, I would say it was like 98 that he retired. Right. So I was like 12, just in puberty. I was like, I'm going to start hitting on girls. I don't give a shit about basketball. Right. And I was thinking about you know other shit. And I was also like, you know, about to go into middle school. And I was like, I got to be really smart in middle school because I was killing it in elementary. And so that, I was I, killing it. In I was killing elementary, elementary school. <laughs> and uh, uh, there was a lull in my interest in the, in the game in general. I was playing a lot more, but I wasn't like watching as much. And then when the Pistons played the Lakers, my cut, one of my oldest cousins is from Detroit. And he was in Jersey um, when the Pistons were playing the Lakers for the playoffs. And that kind of reignited my interest in the game itself. Um, and I had loosely been aware of Kobe and Shaq and all the work they were doing in, in 2000, in that era. But I was like, uh, uh, man, this mother, he, like, I finally accepted that he was the next he was Jordan reincarnated almost and I was like that I, and I loved his game and more than his game I loved his mentality you know he's like a killer and, the, and and I don't know if that was who he was as a young athlete when he was like you know I, I think he had a lot of growing pains but when he became to finally flourish and he had that little fucking underbite and was just like I'm the <laughs> motherfucker I'm that motherfucker I was like I, I like this there's something about him intrinsically that I very much appreciate um, as an athlete and, and as a human being. And the drive that kind of the way he drove himself is kind of how I wanted to approach anything I did. And I didn't do that subconsciously, you know, my, you know, up until maybe like three years ago. Um, but that is, that's like the real story of like why I became a Laker fan and a Kobe fan is because of Kobe. And now LeBron carrying that torch has just like solidified it. But if I were to be honest and reckon with my real uh, um, fandom, it's more I'm more interested in like the the guys that are driving the teams and like how they approach the game. Like if if LeBron stopped playing, I might become a Bucks fan only because I love Giannis, you know, like or or, or Russell because I love I love the way Westbrook approaches the game. He's a monster. I just, I just like his mentality. Wow. You know, like, oh, man. You just lost me, dude. Wait. Okay, let's back up for a sec. So where are you on the whole LeBron, Kobe, uh, Jordan discussion? I pers- I mean, I don't need to get into mine. Let's hear yours. I mean, that's, that's a, a, a loaded question because I appreciate 
all three of them. I'm a diehard. I'm a diehard Kobe fan in the sense that I think his game was not the most complete, just the most killer. I just like you know, it's like if if someone's 2.0, somebody are they better? I would think so. That said, f- six rings speaks a lot more than five does. Five speaks more than four, but yeah. LeBron's game is undoubtedly a lot more complete, right? Like, I mean, he's leading a assi- He's an assist leader. Kobe's never led an assist. This guy could be a defensive player of the year. Kobe was that what twice, maybe once or twice. You know, I mean, Le- LeBron is just on another level of being a more complete NBA player. That said, you put Kobe one on one with LeBron, both in their prime. I'll take Kobe all day. Yeah. Okay. That that's a different question. I like that. Uh, had not considered the one on one aspect. Um, uh, w- Russell Westbrook. That that's the antithesis of what I would think you would like. He doesn't make anyone else on his team better. He's all about I got to get every rebound. I, uh, I, I'm a jerk. I can't get I, out of the first I, I, round of the playoffs without Kevin Durant. How do you like this guy? I need motherfucker that averages a triple double back to back and just brushes it off. It's like, yeah, that's what I do. That is that like that. Not, not as a, not as a team player. I don't, I, I understand all of his flaws, but as a, just an athlete that approaches the game that way is like, I'm going to be the most ruthless guy on this squad. Yeah. And then also like people say he's selfish and stuff, but it's like he averaged a triple double. I mean, you average ten assists a game for two seasons in a row. I mean, how can you, how is that a selfish guy? You know, granted, you know there there weren't uh, great seasons for the team overall, but at some point, that's not necessarily on him. You know, and yeah. I mean, um, I don't I don't know the Harden the Harden combination failed. Obviously, yeah. uh, the two very similar players um, they obviously needed Kevin, you know, yeah. to like round them out. All right, I'll get I'll get you out of here. Just two more, real quick. What was it like in that uh, Saturday Night Live writing room? Uh, you were a writer, I guess, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh, you know, where there's a comedy club out here near us, and uh, it's called the Hermosa Comedy Club. Uh, I don't know if you've been to it. It's like a magic club, also. But Bob Saget's been there. We've seen David Spade. Bunch of guys have come through, mm-hmm. and they all have Saturday Night Live uh, stories or some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, just any amazing memories from uh from that time i mean the the writer's room so i wrote on the weekend update um so it wasn't the sketch room it was the writer's room it was a bit smaller um a bit different in terms of the work environment because you know we weren't paired with cast it was like our cast was day uh mike and and, and colin um and it was it was fun and interesting and i started hating the news because of it uh because it's <laughs> all i had to do was read news and try to find jokes in it um, story-wise, but that's I'm very thankful for the experience, and you know everyone there was incredible. Uh, the cast is still like the most underrated group uh, on TV, um, and they're very highly rated. I think they're incredible. But story-wise, the one story that I can share that sticks out the most to me was when my parents came. I forget, I forget which episode it was. It might have been the Chadwick episode. Um, but my parent, I brought my parents to the to the show, and they were in the uh, in the audience. And then afterwards, like we're all going exiting towards the elevator and stuff. And Keenan's there, and uh, uh, Keenan is like probably my, when my when I told my parents I got the Oscars job with Chris Rock, they were like, I was like, you know, remember Chris Rock? They're like, what? 
And I, but when, when they saw Keenan, they were like, oh, because Keenan, I would watch Keenan when I was like 10, you know, and all yeah. like, he, I grew up with Keenan. My, so I, my parents obviously knew who he was. Um, they didn't know my name, but they knew that face for like, you know, 20 years. And so when my parents met Keenan, it was like, oh, this is, this is incredible, you know, because my parents recognize him and it's probably like one of the only people in comedy that they would like actually recognize. And uh, he is the nicest guy on the planet, like so welcoming and warm and immediately makes you feel like family. He did that with my parents. And it was like, my art, right, I can believe now uh, that my parents have met Keenan. Um, and, and the only other person I geeked out about meeting while at the show was Charles Barkley. Like, wow, jeez, yeah. yeah, yeah, Char yeah. Charles hosted, um, I forget him which episode it was, but like, like I did never, I didn't meet any of the, a lot of the other hosts. Like I would see them, you know, and say what up, whatever. Um, but when Charles uh, came to the show, I made it to, I made it a point to tell one of the talent in terms of talent people like, yo, can you just make sure I get to say hi to Charles Barkley? Uh, because I fucking love that guy. He's the funniest guy in the world. And uh, when he came into my office, my office was tiny. And he came into my office and just filled the room. This is a big guy. <laughs> Charles, Charles is a big dude. And like I, my hand like just like felt like it was a little kid's hand. In his, and when I shook his hand, I was like, thank you for everything you've done. Uh, shout out to the Dream Team because he was so fun. Like in that documentary, he was so funny on the Dream Team doc. But uh, uh, those are two, two of my favorite stories I can tell. Just like meeting Charles and my parents meeting Keenan were like highlights for me there. So final question, and, uh, you know, don't get embarrassed when I say this, but uh, I did a lot of people. I've been hyping the interview for a while. I didn't say your name on the podcast, uh -huh. but friends would text me and be like, oh, who is it? What's I mentioned your name, and they're like, a couple people said, hey, be careful, Jay. He, he can be controversial. Oh, uh, shit. Don't want, you know. <laughs> and my, my thought was like. Me? Are we so. I, well, first of all, that. <laughs> but second of all, like, are we so PC mm -hmm. in 2020 that. We got to like, be careful what we say. And you're in the job where, dude, you got to just, you can't adhere to any of that crap. You right. got to just fire. And, and I said, you know what? I don't really care. I'm not afraid. I'm secure in who I am and what my job is and my bosses. Mm -hmm. I'm not out here saying shit that's going to get me in trouble, I don't think. Um, but how do you handle that? Like, or, or do, do you know instantly when you've crossed a line or do you know going in, hey, man, as much as I want to touch this, man, that shit's radioactive. I can't do it. Uh. I, I think it's what you said. You know who you are. I know who I am. I know what I feel and what I think about things. And usually when I'm asked a similar question, I, I tend to quote my friend Mike Racine's joke. My friend Mike Racine has this joke about uh, his grandma. His grandma bought a used car and it had like a Nazi sticker on it. And he goes, Grandma, aren't you concerned about that Nazi sticker? And his grandma goes, I know who I am. <laughs> and it's just like that. That's exactly right. You know, like I know who I am. I, I'm not going to be concerned about what people think about what I have to say. Um, that said, I am conscious of, uh, of crossing lines, but I'm also like, I'm also not one of these comics that's constantly doing that on purpose. If I'm crossing a line, it's because it's because it's the funniest thing I could do, mm -hmm. or it's because of how I, genuinely feel in which case the line being there is incorrect in the first place uh and that's how i approach um that you know like i i, I appreciate shock comedy but i'm not that guy i don't go out yeah. and, like you know people are like oh thank god this person's dead i'm like 
Like, well, I'm not that guy. Who the fuck yeah, cares? Yeah, yeah. You know what uh, I mean? All right. So what, what do you want to promote? Where can everybody find you besides Instagram, Twitter? Uh, I'm assuming you're on Facebook. Yeah. All that fun stuff. I made it very easy. Um, if you want to go watch my stand-up, my latest stand-up is at patel2020.com. You'll see I'm wearing a, a, a gift from a friend. My friend Asif gave me a Mamba Sports Academy uh, a dry fit shirt, which is like now impossible to get, but he got it for me um, months ago. And I was like, thank you uh, for that. And so I wore that because I opened with a Kobe joke, that whole special. Um, and then... Uh, this whole quarantine, like I said, I was building, you know, skill sets that I didn't necessarily have. I created a cartoon with a friend of mine named Mookie Thompson, um, who's a comedy writing savant. And we created this cartoon after a group of friends approached us to do something about climate change. And we created this cartoon called Zoo Idiots. You could go check it out at zooidiots.com if you're a fan of Rick and Morty or The Simpsons. Um, or, or, or family guy. That's a kind of caliber of comedy. We try to hold ourselves to, um, and joke wise, I think we definitely hit it. Like we got tons of jokes, visual and, and written. And I voice one of the cre- uh, one of the characters. Um, it's about, it's about animals trapped in quarantine. Um, and it's kind of an out, it's like, it's inspired by animal farm. Um, and I'm absolutely in love with it. It's just something I'm so incredibly proud of. It's like, you know, it's like how Kobe, you know, put the put the uh, the jersey away and picked up the Oscar. You know, it was like kind of, it just felt like I was like I want to prove to everybody I can do fucking everything, and you know I couldn't do stand up. So I was like, all right, well I can write a cartoon from beginning to end and voice the characters and cast it and executive produce the whole thing, and uh, that's on zooidiots.com. And it's I'm so in love with it. It's so good. <laughs> Wow. Congrats, man. And Thank congrats you, man. on all your success. And hey, thanks for taking the time to come on a sports podcast and talk about sports for like three minutes. <laughs> hey, I mean, hey, man. Thank you for having me. Thank yeah, you for yeah. allowing me to do that. Um, and, and shout out to your brother. Uh, uh, if he ever wants to swing uh, jokes by me, I, I definitely will return the yeah, favor yeah. in terms of linking I'm us sure together, he man. Will, he will love that. All right. Nimesh Patel. Enjoy, man. Continued success. Thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Take care of yourself. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, he's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. I said, what? Sergeant Pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.